Find out about our new events and updates on Instagram and Facebook at ucla.aia. If you'd like to send in any questions or comments, or if you are interested in being a guest on the podcast, send them to ucla.aiapresident at gmail.com. Thank you for wanting to learn more about the Indonesian American experience, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the sixth episode of the AIA podcast with your host, Dylan. Today, I'm joined by the man himself, the AIA treasurer, Ian Wahagege. Ian is a pretty good friend of mine, and um, he he does a lot of good things for AIA. He's really knowledgeable about those treasurer activities, just really, really getting our stock up, you know, as, as the Association of Indonesian Americans. And yeah, overall, he's just a really cool person. So, um, Ian, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Sure thing. Um, so, hey, everyone. My name is Ian Wahagege, as Dylan mentioned. And I'm a rising third-year environmental science major at UCLA. I'm also with the concentration in environmental engineering. Just had to throw that out there. Oh, um, spicy. <laughs> and yeah, um, like Dylan mentioned, uh, my biggest involvement in AI is being treasurer. Um, apart from that, I've also worked in some other financial roles and um, other clubs. And um, yeah, right now I'm also like pretty much um, focusing on studying Indonesian um, as well as my environmental um, studies, which has been a blessing because of the um, unique opportunities that our school UCLA has to offer. And so, yeah. All right. Nice. So, Ian, how have you been uh, working out during this quarantine? <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, as it was brought up yesterday in a, in a board meeting, <laughs> I attended a good two whole workouts um, <laughs> scheduled um, by uh, uh, Jason, um, our, our president of AIA, as well as you. Um, I've also like been um, doing calisthenics workouts outside of that. Um, I think that one I've been more uh, consistent in. Um, I think like the reason why I've kind of only did two workouts with you guys is more so like my really whack schedule and stuff like that. But then I tended to work out like way later in the day. Um, I've been going on runs recently. Um, former cross country runner and uh, Ooh, the dad bod is starting yeah. to come through. So <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty much it. I do core on off days sometimes, and it's been it's been great. Dang. Okay, that's. Yeah, honestly, that probably makes up for it. Wait, do you have, like, a pull-up bar at home? Uh, no, but I actually have, like, gymnastic strings that I have on um, a tree in my backyard. Oh, damn. And it works like magic. It's super oh, great. Oh, yeah. So cool. Oh. <laughs> Dang. Damn, I, I wish I could get one. I have, like, a tree outside, but it's dead and it has no branches, so I can't, like, hang anything on it. Oh, <laughs> so, so all I've been doing is just, like, trying to climb it. And there's there's like this metal rod sticking out of it, and I and I pull myself towards the the thing because I wanted to get into rock climbing, and then <clears> COVID <throat> happened and everything, and that's the closest I have. It's just, it's just like this <laughs> rod on the tree, and it helps my grip and stuff. Oh man, well I, yeah. we're still being resourceful out here, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, dang. All right, that's that's good. You're still keeping in shape and everything. Oh man. 
Yeah, I was I was a bit scared. I thought I thought outside of those two workouts, you just like <laughs> I've just been sitting down. Going, oh yeah, not going a, at it at the piano. <laughs> not entirely, not entirely. <laughs> Wait, what? What new songs have you learned on the piano? Um, so I guess one of them is more of like a um a piano and then three part clarinet piece. I learned the piano part. It's um Spirited Away's Reprise. Ooh. So I'm trying to like put it all together, like record the three um clarinet parts because i do play clarinet as well i just haven't gotten to learn the clarinet parts because i'm so rusty at the instrument <laughs> and then apart from that um i also learned the harder version of the entertainer um by scott oh. joplin yeah classic american piece <laughs> and because I, I learned the very basic one like back in the day i was like you know what? i'm better now I, I should learn the good version so that's yeah. been coming along yeah Dang, nice <laughs> What a what a music scholar, man! <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, speaking on uh, scholarly activities and everything, um, so you got in, into AIA and everything, and you were one of the founders of AIA because of Indo Indo class, right? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, from Indo class, did you learn something about Indonesia that you? never heard about before or um like were there any scholarly things i guess that uh, interested you yeah so i think um i guess one thing that that really stood out to me and i guess it wouldn't be like entirely a scholarly thing but it, it definitely relates to like the ucla community and so our professor um boo um boo or a uh, professor vijaya she noted, so she's basically taught Indonesian at like the University of Oregon, I think a couple other um, universities prior to come UCLA. Mm. And um, I remember like uh, the first time she came to speak for a club, she said something along the lines of how UCLA has been a different teaching experience because um, there's a huge amount of Indonesian Americans, like second generation or like people, Indonesian Americans who don't know the language who take her class. Um, whereas like in the prior classes, it's been more like graduate students or just like uh, academics interested in like Indonesian relations. And so for me, that was like really interesting, um, you know, to, to think that like, you know, there was this very exclusive community or sorry, not exclusive, but like, um, like different community in the sense that it's a demographic that, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, I side with, but it's also like, there's a lot of them coming together to this, with the same motives to learn the language. Um, and you know, um, that was very interesting to her as well in that, um, she, you know, actually took a lot of data from her Indo classes, um, my cl uh, incoming cohort as well. Um, and she like asked us like, she gave us like a, a questionnaire, like asking about like, like, I guess our levels of Indonesian and like, I guess some uh, cultural background or something like that. And so it turns out like she used that data for like, uh, um, a study. And it was very interesting to see like how many Indonesian Americans, like a ton of Indonesian Americans here at UCLA who have gone through like this Indonesian language program and who didn't know anything. You know, I thought I was just like the, the one of the few who like didn't learn the language as a kid and I messed up and all this. But it was, it was surprising to see how like, you know, my my background really was like it wasn't as like unique as I thought. And that was like really interesting, to, excuse me, interesting to me like growing up. Um, not really having being in touch with other Indonesian Americans, so yeah, that was definitely the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah, I think I I was also like kind of shocked when I saw that people outside of just Indonesians were interested in learning Indonesian, 
And um, you also see it in the scholars too, like Benedict Anderson and um, Professor Geoffrey Robinson at UCLA, is that they're mainly Westerners, right? And they're um, there's not too many like Indonesian scholars who like study the history of Indonesia. And I think there's like a pretty big reason for that, but <laughs> but it's kind of political. Probably won't get to that <laughs> in this conversation. <laughs> but I think yeah, it's just um, it's just super interesting that people are are looking at Indonesia and thinking like, ooh, maybe I should learn the language and study more about the history there. And um, you also talked about how you didn't really have, I guess, people to talk with in um, when you were younger for, or I mean like you didn't have um, younger Indonesians or Indonesians your age around you and stuff in your community, right? Um, could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, for sure. So I um, come from... Santa Clarita, California. Um, can find my house later. Um, and that, that's that. I'm gonna drive down. I'm gonna drive <laughs> down right now. <laughs> Bet. But um, yeah. So this is um interesting city. It's technically predominantly um white, but the neighborhood I live in is like predominantly Hispanic, and so this uh the Hispanic demographic was um you know who I was used to like growing up and um who were like the students in my classes and whatnot. And so, um, you know, with that, I didn't really find any other Indonesian Americans in my classes. Um, the main, I guess, um, points of contact with Indonesian Americans would be like family, friends, and like their kids. So that was kind of like, you know, the Indonesian group. But then like yeah. outside of that, it was just like, oh, um, that's just my little bubble type of thing. And so, yeah, I guess in high school, though, like I did come to know uh, two other Indonesians, but I never really provoked discussion on that. Because I think by then I was kind of really immersing myself more into like the Hispanic culture. Um, I took Spanish all four years in high school, yeah, and I don't. Know, I just felt like yeah, awesome, <laughs> nice. Um, and I don't know. I just felt like the cult, their culture was like a little bit more relevant. Um, at least like going through the um, going through high school with them all, and so that's kind of like where I was at. And it it, I guess it was sort of in the back of my head like that to like explore it, but I didn't really have the resources. I didn't really have um, a space where I could meet with other people that shared that interest. And so it really didn't grow, um, you know, throughout my entire years up till high, um, the end of high school. So, yeah. I see. Yeah. I mean, honestly, same, like I, I grew up in a pretty Asian dominated area, but uh, there weren't too many Indonesians. Um, even though like the, one of the, churches where they have indonesian mass was like down the block for me but <laughs> but yeah i didn't um i guess yeah i didn't have other people to help me like cultivate interests in in my indonesian heritage as well so i definitely understand where you're coming from with that but i guess um speaking on like your is like speaking on your um relation with with your community and everything in Santa Clarita did you ever uh did you wanted more so to like um assimilate with the culture around you or did you like ever think of not wanting to be Indonesian or was there any point where you just um were picked on or anything because of that uh, I, th I think I, I was definitely more like with the mindset of assimilating towards the surrounding culture. Mm -hmm. I think 
how I saw it like before college is definitely like a binary type of thing um, where it's like, oh, do you have like some sort of culture or like a different understanding of like are American? You cultured? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, are you yeah. cultured? Or are you not cultured type of yeah. deal? And so for me, it's like, oh, I could, you know, as long as I pick any, then I guess I, I can, you know, take it another level. But so I guess like in that sense, yeah, I kind of chose which one was more convenient, more like relatable and more relevant. So that's why I kind of, again, uh, sided with like the Hispanic culture, especially like with learning the language. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I, um, necessarily you know like suppressed the um that indonesian identity mm. i think in a lot of ways it was like it was small things but i think they definitely helped me like find a unique a sense of like uniqueness i guess that's a word um <laughs> where it's like people would like look at like teachers for instance they'd like look at like the roster and they'd be like where's your last name from hawaii and then like we play that guessing game <laughs> yeah like, and i wouldn't tell them i'd be like no you gotta get it right <laughs> and then um then they'd try to pronounce it <laughs> um that's always been a fun uh, fun time with both students and teachers but um yeah so i mean things like those like even though they're like pretty small you know they still like gave me a sense of oh i'm different and i don't know i felt that that was kind of um i would say like kind of important in a sense i don't know like I guess going along the lines of, um, yeah, I don't know. I just felt like having that sort of sense of unique identity was kind of um, cool, I guess. And that's why, um, yeah, things like those with like last name and even trying to explain where Indonesia was like, yeah, trivial things. Um, that was kind of like my sense of identity. And then it was like cool to have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even for me. Even for um, my mom and I, we were like, "Where's your last name from?" <laughs> because because <laughs> because it's it, it's actually like I think it's like different within Indonesia. Like, there's last names come from a lot of places in Indonesia because Indonesia is just so diverse, too. And yeah, I mean, some of the last names yeah. in Indonesia like sound Dutch, and then for some reason, like people think my some people thought like my last name was. Um, Italian or something. I was like, "Mamma mia, <laughs> where's my spaghetti?" <laughs> you know. But, oh dang. Um, but yeah, the the last name guessing game is always pretty fun. But yeah, um, you so your school was like predominantly uh, Hispanic and everything. Uh, I'm just wondering, did your school have like an elote man? By the way. Like, <laughs> so. <laughs> We did not have an Unalote man, but oh, man. Um, that would have been dope for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think uh, my city came under some like bad rep. Um, there's like a fruteria man, or a frutas man that kind of yeah. um, was told to like like leave. Um, so unfortunately, those aren't very common. But in um, I guess on near where I live, actually, we have some Unalote mans and stuff like that. Unalote <laughs> <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah so it's almost great to see that site though i don't know yeah no i, I mean i was just wondering because like there was one at my school and then i mean there were a few at my school and it was weird because um my school was in between cities so like it would be in um most people from monterey park would go to my school but then um the city next to it alhambra would would claim that like it's I don't know it was it was weird so I guess they took advantage of it <laughs> but but yeah I was just wondering because like I thought 
hmm, maybe this is a trend. Like, maybe, <laughs> maybe there are multiple, like, multiple entrepreneurs out there. Yeah. We stand, we stand. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so one thing that I found um, was kind of interesting that you've been involved in was Link. Because I've heard about Link when I was in high school because uh, a few of my friends were Korean and we actually um, we had this social justice project or, or some sort of like social awareness project and um, one of my friends picked Liberty in North Korea and I didn't know anything about it at first so I had to research it and it's yeah, it's really interesting how like, North Koreans get to South Korea. Like they have to go to go through China, mm-hmm. and people who go through the the DMZ are probably not gonna go through the DMZ. <laughs> yeah. You know, like yeah. yeah, and it's just because I think beforehand, like I thought hmm, maybe there's just like tunnels or something underneath, or how else would they get um, to South Korea or get to get outside of North Korea and everything, but. What drew you into uh, Liberty North Korea and what, I guess, like motivated you to be a part of it and be a part of the leadership there? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I guess I started with Liberty North Korea back in high school, I think my sophomore or junior year. Mm-hmm. And this was really like, I kind of just got reeled into it, not going to lie, <laughs> because my sister and her friends started the club, the chapter oh. at uh, my high school. Um, so I guess... <laughs> yeah, so there was that. But then, yeah, as I kind of, you know, stuck with it longer, and then one day all graduated, 30 year above me, um, you know, I started to really, like, you know, like, treat it more, like, seriously, like, more than just, like, a club type of deal, like, oh, with everyone who I know. Um, and then, yeah, I really started to enjoy hearing a lot of these stories, because the goal, I guess, of the club is to bring awareness of like the the lives of the people in North Korea beyond like the the stigma that it gets from like all the politics and the news and stuff and like Mm -hmm. Kim Jong-un and so like hearing all these like intimate and very like personal stories of like North Koreans through like YouTube and like their YouTube channel and stuff back in high school it was it was very um, interesting and it very it was like you know like it it opened my eyes for one um you know because I myself like kind of associate North Korea with uh a lot of government related things and then yeah. it, it really like dawned upon me like these these people you know they they are ordinary people and they live you know these lives that you know require love and require freedom and require all these things like to you know um have their goals be met but they're like very unknown and i felt like in a way that kind of um, related to like the indonesian american experience you know like i felt like it wasn't our perspective wasn't really something that was known out there Mm. But like, you know, it's, it's complex. It has a lot of things, you know, and we have our ups and downs as well. And so, um, that ultimately like drew me like to continue into college. And so that's when I was at the Normous Activities Fair and that was the first club I was looking for. It was like Link Club. And so, um, <laughs> they were, uh, my first year, I, um, they didn't have any like leadership opportunities or anything, but I definitely like stuck around a lot for the meetings. I think I drew back a little for winter, but I think the community was like really awesome. That was what, what really solidified my kind of tie to it on top of like, you know, the educational component. And what was really interesting about that was that like the, the conversations were like, like next level compared to like, my high school and it was just like insane to hear like how people kind of you know picked apart like different 
things that we learned and how uh, they kind of connected it to global events. And it was just like, well, this is a really great space, you know, like discuss, you know, the lives of people. And so, yeah, my second year, I got involved as treasurer. Uh, it was finance director. That's the name of the title, but same role. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was been very stressful, but it allowed me to really like um, understand the purpose a lot more. And then on top of that, like our president for the past year was like um, very ambitious. Um, and so we got a lot done. And then we also had a lot more interactions with the actual North Koreans. So um, we had like a, a speaker event with like four North Korean defectors in the fall. Wow. Um, that was also very like amazing to hear, you know, the their perspective, their stories like come like from them personally. Mm-hmm. And then um, we also had another speaker. This one, he's a high profile figure. Um, his name's Oh Chong Sung. And he he's interesting that you mentioned the DMZ. He was like one of the few defectors who actually went through the DMZ. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was. Yo. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how, how did he do that? Oh, uh, yeah. So he worked in, um, I guess he was. Uh, a patrolman um at at the DMZ mm. um I, I might be wrong but he definitely like was associated with like the government and like worked had access there because he worked there and so one day I think okay he was not intoxicated but he did just okay he might have been intoxicated like a little bit before and then he just like booked it to the border drove like really fast and then just like like booked it and then apparently he got shot lost half his shot three times lost half his blood the yeah. South Korean like soldiers took him in and like, okay, we're keeping you. And yeah, so he's out in South Korea. And I guess the reason why he came through was because um the internal vice president's uncle knew him. So we're like, oh, let's, let me, you know, we're linked at UCLA. Let's like invite him. And so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. Oh, and so, yeah, that was also interesting to hear his story as well. Kind of like firsthand, like kind of the process in going through the DMZ. That was very, like, one in a million type of story. Yeah. Dude, that's so wild. What the heck? <laughs> you just... Dang. <laughs> like, sometimes I imagine, what if, like, one of the soldiers um, who's just standing in between the line um, just, like, walked. <laughs> just, just, they would just walk away. <laughs> that would be crazy. Yeah. Um, Dang. Yeah, so um, it seems like Link really highlights stories and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Was there, I, I guess um, the story you just talked about was pretty crazy, but like, <laughs> was there were there any stories that you found um, interesting? Yeah, so yeah, definitely Ochong songs was like the most interesting to me. <laughs> um, so I, I guess on top of that, though, there's, um, it's interesting to kind of piece together kind of um what we may think we know about north korea um versus like the personal experiences of the people um seems like you know some people um get by quite well um i don't remember the person specific but i know one person like made like bank like selling i believe it was like a rum or something like that like in the black market um because in north korea basically like yeah the black market was pretty huge and is still pretty huge to get like you know more contraband and like things that i guess you know aren't too seriously banned but also like are by law banned and so that's heavily utilized but yeah kind of to see you know how they get by and like selling these things and almost like um doing like i guess like being able to survive and being able to like i guess yeah sustain themselves 
But of course, like, you know, with the political situation and stuff, it's like, it, there are different things. But, um, you know, seeing that maybe what we think about it and maybe if they're like full on like oppressed like that, or like maybe if, um, you know, to what extent do they thrive in that environment? I think that was very interesting to see, especially based on the black market and how some people can actually thrive off of that. Um, but of course, again, it's very limited in knowledge and there's only so much even that uh, a, per- a person, one person can like offer it in that whole insight of, um, you know, it's just life. And on top of that, I think like, um, one thing that resonated with me as well, like it was again from the, um, one of the speakers that came to UCLA and it was very simple. It was just like, um, they recall that one memory in North Korea, um, that they miss was like, uh, I guess like a waterfall. It's like deep into a mountain, like a trail, like, I don't know, I have one like by my house too. And it was like, I don't know, it, I just, it was very familiar to me because like I had one by my house and it's like, oh, you know, I don't really think about the outdoors in North Korea. I don't really think about what they do in their free time because like to an extent, like I feel that we kind of get this picture painted that it's like all miserable all the time, but there are moments where they, they do enjoy themselves and where there are, you know, um, like beauties in a broken world. So I thought that was very, very insightful. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, because we always have that picture that, oh, they must be oppressed and suffering and all those fake smiles and everything. And then people are still able to, like, live their life, I guess, and perceive things and find beauty, which is, yeah, which is, which I understand, like, does sound pretty weird (laughs) when, yeah, when you're from the outside looking in. Um, yeah, but so you've been a part of Link for like four years, right? And um, I guess you could say that, yeah, 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 from from high school to to now. So, what experiences do you think from Link um, have you been able to bring to AIA and the community um, with AIA? I think. A lot of my experiences actually come from like the um, management sort of side. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, kind of um, yeah, sharing some structure as well as like, um, like when we went through the document process, I was um, and my constitution process, I was like bringing in a lot of like, uh, link sort of concepts. Um, on top of that, I think yeah, just the community and like you know stewarding a club. Um, link did a phenomenal job my two years and like, you know, keeping up with members and, you know, reaching out to them um, and really maintaining a community, you know, a community that not only is engaged with, you know, the material and like the, the topics of North Korea, but also like outside of the club as well. Because I feel like that's kind of kind of like one of the reasons why we go to clubs, you know, to find that social circle outside of the actual general interest. And so um, particularly last year, um, our president was like very thoughtful of like, all the members she would always reach out to us and always have like these quarterly check-in type of things and um you know where she kind of just talked with everyone one-on-one and just made sure everything was all right and i feel like um though i haven't like really implemented that this um this past year because i mean ai is like pretty recent as well um pretty new but i feel like that's something that i i want to take um use as a model you know to um definitely engage one-on-one and reach out to people you know like um, because behind their engagement with like the material and like, you know, Indonesian Americans and, um, you know, all that stuff, you know, they are a people, a person as well, like outside of that. And I feel like that's like equally important to like acknowledge that and to get to know that side of the, um, themselves. 
Um, and so, yeah, that's, again, like, haven't taken that initiative as much, but that's something I definitely want to um, try going forward, especially as one of, like, I guess the representatives, you could say, of AIA. Yeah, wait, so you mean to, like, reach out to people and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think that the like I guess the the theme of the speaker series that we've had is just like getting their stories and everything and trying to understand who they are and stuff. And I think that's like a pretty big part of culture, right? It's just the the history and um some a lot of the times this history is gone forever with with the people. So, I think it's important to document it and such. But um, I guess leading on from that, from like th- that discussion, uh, what's something you feel like, signifies most um, or what's something that you feel is the most important part of your Indonesian culture? Because a lot of people like they um, when we think of culture, a lot of times I think people think about the food and think about um, the language and yeah, so is there something specific that you feel like really ties you into your culture? Hmm. You know, like my, my brain initially went to uh, the language as well. Um, <laughs> but I feel like <laughs> yeah, it seems no. like seems like you're looking no, for a deeper no, answer yeah. than that. <laughs> no no no, but I mean yeah, the, the language can be the language is a big thing, obviously, but yeah, I mean if that if that is what it is then yeah, do you want to explain that a little bit? Yeah, uh, I think my answer might be kind of generic, um, <laughs> thinking about it more, because the um, you know this goes with languages for all heritage, like backgrounds and stuff like that, and it's really like first and foremost kind of like that that um, opportunity to connect with others and especially like with the um, your family, because you know we we definitely have those instances like where oh i can't explain something as well and um you know my uh, language that i'm not strong in and so being able to understand indonesian especially like um as Indi- like i guess like first and second gen indonesian americans um it's kind of it, it it means a lot in the sense that you know when our um grandparents and like beyond like they they might not be as strong um in english but again yeah i, I feel like that's definitely not something that's um exclusive to the indonesian american experience yeah. but i guess i don't know having it like always like in my face like as a young kid like oh i can't understand this at all or like going to indonesia and just having to like sit through everything like um pretending like i know every- no excuse me know everything um when i had no clue what was going on i don't know that's always been like my sort of go-to in terms of like how do i understand the culture all of a sudden um and in a sense it has helped me um having being able to like communicate with people um with my limited um beginning indonesian knowledge especially with my grandmother who i've been um talking to a lot more because i learned indonesian but nice. yeah um okay. i guess like because of my understanding like it to an extent to you it isn't i feel like it might not be like that as like impactful as i initially saw it to be just because um again it's like your kind of grasp of things and how the other party kind of 
says what they want to say. And so for me, it, it's like when I do use Indonesian, it's like, oh, I can understand like basic things, but like did that really enhance my sort of understanding of like their world or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's really hard to, because like Indonesian is, Indonesian at first, to me, it looked like a really simple language because <laughs> we can actually read it in from the English alphabet and stuff. It's just <laughs> different pronunciations. And then, and then there's so many words and they're so large and everything. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's really crazy. Um, how did, how was like your first experience going back to Indonesia? Because I know for me, um, that's, that was like the catalyst for me to start learning Indonesian because, um, because it was, I mean, everyone was speaking Indonesian, so I had to like keep up and stuff, but <laughs> yeah. Um, how was your first experience going back? So I believe I went back, or the first time I went to Indonesia was, so I was born here, I'm born and raised in the States, but so I went to Indonesia for the first time in, oof, I want to say 2008, 2009. Oh, oh um, so you're a small boy. <laughs> yeah, a small boy. And yeah. so um, I do come from like, I guess, a upper middle class background. So uh, needless to say, going there was definitely like, you know, that culture shock. Um we when we went we went to Manado which is um on like the eastern side of the country which is like um Sulawesi on the island of Sulawesi and so that it is a one of like it is a big city but it's not like you know Jakarta or Bandung or like mm-hmm. you know like a Javanese city that's like hell like um really developed and or I guess yeah like really like like a big point in, like Indonesia and so yeah, when we got there, like, the airport, like, they maybe had, like, I don't know, like, five terminals and, or four, no, like, five, like, thingies where the airplanes yeah. could get out. Yeah. <laughs> um, very small. Um, and then, like, going, like, stepping outside. First of all, like, the humidity was, like, a huge thing in, in, oh, like, it's yeah. like buttered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it was insane. Like, I don't know what this is. Yeah, must be a California thing, but, um, yeah, and then we all, like, kind of just piled into, like, this van. Uh, seatbelts were optional, you know, the deal. Mm-hmm. And then we, like, yeah. pulled up to... Even uh, for my... the driver. Yeah, dude, it's yeah. insane. You can even, like, if you're small enough, you can sit on the driver, bro. Oh, you know, yeah, my, my aunt did that. Like, my, oh, really? My cousin. Yeah, and I was just in the passenger seat, and I was just watching my... <laughs> my baby cousin just, like, at the steering wheel pretending to drive, too. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> just another day in indonesia (laughs) yeah Yeah. but yeah like when i um got there so i was i stayed in like my grandmother's house um my mom's side and uh like i guess and i mean it was considered like one of the better houses um on the street um they had like running water and all this but um I don't know, like from American standpoint, it was, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, there were like a lot of, um, uh, baby, like mosquitoes everywhere and like anywhere with like water, like baby mosquitoes and, um, you know, like electricity wasn't working all the time. And then just all these like things that, you know, I took for granted, of course, um, that were kind of deprived there. And it seemed like, oh, my grandparents were like, just like, oh, it's just another day in our life. And so that was like, that definitely shaped me the first time, um, like going back and like uh, definitely appreciating like what I had. And, um, 
understanding that yeah what what we have here in the united states isn't isn't the same everywhere and then yeah i think it was very i don't know because like those trips like i've gone to indonesia two times um after that like they've all been like very family oriented and so i feel like you know going with the whole vibe was just like i don't know that um familial time like being born into the indonesian american identity like it seemed like yeah a lot of it was like it felt like a inclined must because it's like family or it's because like it's, it's like identity and stuff like that so that's like all three times i've been in indonesia it's been like i've associated with that not like a place where it's like i kind of went out of my way per se to like go because i was like um necessarily interested i mean i was interested in it for sure but it wasn't it was like you know the main driving factor was like you know this identity and family sort of driven thing and yeah. so like it's seeing ev- too. It's that's it yeah absolutely trip. yeah it's dude. To, 24 dude, it's like 24 hours to get there <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. What, what what um what country did you like go off from oh did, um yeah. yeah so all three times i went uh to japan then singapore Ooh. then singapore to the monado and then always after like monado i would go to like uh, jakarta but then bandung drive to bandung <laughs> oh, <laughs> because oh. my my uh um my mom well my mom's side now lives in bandung so oh nice, nice but my dad's side's from monado well they're both from monado but they still live there so oh yeah, but their family just moved and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dang. Yeah, so the I've also been back to Indonesia three times. Oh nice. So <laughs> that's a pretty cool coincidence. <laughs> yeah, it's very coincidence. Yeah. But um when I went back I think one time was through uh Hong Kong and then the other time was through China and then the other time was through Taiwan. But I wanted to go through J- Japan because mm-hmm. it's Japan, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, I'm going to go to a Poke Center or something. <laughs> <laughs> Poke Center. Yeah, you know, they, they have Poke Centers there. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Super sick. Were you able to go down, like, in the other countries at least? Or was it just a layover? I mean, I was just at the airport. Oh, gotcha. Wait, so did you actually? Get no, I, I, I didn't. It was always at, like... The dawn of morning when I got to like Singapore. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so. No, but the Singapore airport's really nice though. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Changi Airport. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Dang. They have a they have a zoo in the airport, dude. Yeah. <laughs> they have a forest in there. And that like fountain feature that they installed recently. Like indoor fountain. It's massive. Yeah. But yeah, just about that idea of how like Indonesia is really different from america in terms of what we see as normal because i think that was the first time that i saw like one of those squatting toilets oh yeah also just like the wealth inequality too is just Mm -hmm. super apparent i mean in the united states it's it's pretty apparent too but they like put up walls and stuff (laughs) like like there's uh there's highways in between them and stuff Yeah, yeah but in indonesia it's just you see a big mansion and then you see bunch of uh like shacks yeah yeah Yeah. and i think yeah for me that was also a culture shock Mm -hmm. yeah uh was there ever did you ever have an experience where um someone tried to speak to you in indonesian but you just couldn't while you were there um yeah i was uh (laughs) i was i got a haircut (laughs) when i was there (laughs) 
and like, too. Was, Wait, oh, dude, yeah, we're the same person. Same, no yeah, way. same experience. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I got a haircut there, and um, I guess it was, um, okay. I'm not like big into knowing what haircut stuff is like, but I guess it was more than that because they like actually like washed my hair and stuff and did all this like interesting stuff. So they took me like to a different room for a while away from my parents. I was like what eight, seven. And then they asked me like a question. And I was like just sitting there pretending to think as if I was gonna answer. <laughs> <laughs> that went on for like five minutes and then they just like they're like, what is he like what is this kid doing? And then I think my my um um yeah my dad chipped um chimed in but like it was very weird oh. but that, that was like very i don't know i was kind of traumatized i was like i am scared of this yeah. like <laughs> yeah but hey hey now now with indo you can say oh git <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah oh man yeah because um i i was just wondering about that because uh I, like we we both look like Indonesian in the sense that we look like we 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 were born in or we are from Indonesia and everything right or what I'm trying to say is like I think um I think it was uh I guess like for me when I was when I was there I I felt like I was obligated to try and speak indonesian because um obviously i was in indonesia and also i look indonesian because i am indonesian right (laughs) and they don't expect um they don't expect you to not know indonesian Uh, that was a lot of double negatives but oh yeah (laughs) it's it it felt like kind of embarrassing for me to to not be able to to speak the language that i look like i should be able to speak and um, there's also kind of, I mean, I wouldn't say it was traumatizing, but it was just like a memory that, oh, dang, dang, I, I thought I was fooling them enough because I was looking like the regular old Indonesian boy, you know, just going around and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and walking and stuff with sandals and I, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's, it feels it feels like super imposter syndrome but in the oh, yeah. in the weakest sense in the weakest sense because it's not there's no stakes like there's no stakes of oh if you don't know indonesian then it's it's, it's whatever we'll just ask your parents or something <laughs> but, but yeah did did that kind of influence you in trying to learn more indonesian or what was like the main experience that made you want to um uh get your indonesian better i think uh first i think like commenting on your experience i found that interesting the, like that obligation uh to speak the language i felt like personally i i didn't have that as much but i feel like yeah maybe in some sense like that interrelating with uh identity and stuff and again like other people's expectations it seems um yeah that, that's definitely a, a valid like like a potential like drive and motivator um but I feel like, yeah, for me, it wasn't as much with that obligation. Um, more so than, like, um, again, going back to, like, that opportunity to, like, communicate with people who I've seen. Yeah, so communicate, the opportunity to communicate, but, like, with, like, people who I know throughout my whole life, but, like, yeah. have just known them as, like, a name. Like, so, like, Indonesian family members. And so that's kind of my, my um, motive. 
is yeah to open up that uh, network of communication um, even though I knew it wouldn't be you know like the most um, coherent or like um, uh, like very um, in-depth sort of conversation I felt like it was definitely a way to do that um, to communicate with people nevertheless um, yeah from my family and back home and so that's kind of why I stuck through it um, I, I don't want I guess I shouldn't say stuck through it but I did it yeah <laughs> um, and and I think the thing that like I I tend to bring up a lot is that it was out of choice because like um, I already passed like out for my foreign language <laughs> requirement um, but you know I felt like it was kind of like still oh you know, UCLA is, like, the only school in Southern California that offers, like, Indonesian language as a oh, class. Really? So, like, yeah, yeah. And so it's, like, oh, must take it type of deal so that I can communicate. And, yeah, it's definitely um, helped. But, again, like, kind of going back to, like, oh, there's only so much you can do with it. But then also, I think, like, beyond that, it's, like, you uh, need, what is it? Like, you need that. You need to suck it up sometimes and just like talk because like a lot of times I'm still like I don't want to talk because I can't speak coherently and so that's that's always that's been a main issue because it's like but then also it's like you know why are you learning a language like if I had this purpose you know, to learn to communicate and have those opportunities um to talk to people why am I not using it you know why am I like holding back just do whatever they'll understand type of deal yeah yeah that that's something that I've been kind of struggling with too because. Um, I, I didn't enroll in Indo, but... I, oh, wait, you did? I did not. Oh. Did not, but, but I'm, I'm like, thinking about it still, though, because I look at my class schedule and I think, hmm, maybe I should just take Indo instead of this class. Do it, because, do it, do it. Yeah, because um, I also think it's a choice, too, because, like, when I was back there, when I was back in Indonesia, I, I think I felt like, um, I mean, I didn't feel obligated in the sense that I could actually like speak the Indonesian back to them, but I I was just like super self conscious of how I looked to other people because like um, I'm I'm pretty like or I'm somewhat dark skinned and everything, and uh and I, I look like I would speak Indonesian or something, um to to some of my relatives who are um who are more fair-skinned and, and such. So, I guess, like, I was just super self-conscious of how I look to other people. But, yeah, it's it was it was just something that I had to realize and get over with, I guess, <laughs> um, when, I was, when I was there. But I think that experience has kind of made me uh, want to speak Indonesian more and try and practice it, too. So, yeah, and you you've been at it with Duolingo though. Right? Yes, <laughs> yes, I am, dude. I'm Ruby League. I am Ruby League. <laughs> oh my goodness, okay. dude, that is top tier. Top tier. Yeah. See, some people you prestige get... League. I prestige Duolingo. <laughs> Uh, uh, dude you can like uh, quite honestly just jump into Indo 100 A at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all. I'll slip in, I'll, I'll slip an email to Ujaya. I'll just be like, hey, yo, can, can I drop in here? <laughs> yeah. All right, well, um, I think we're going to wrap it up um, pretty soon. 
Is there anything you'd like to tell the viewers? To, I mean, not the viewers, but tell the <laughs> listeners. Um, hmm. I guess the only thing I have to say is uh, that Duolingo plug was not uh, paid sponsorship. It's not sponsored. <laughs> yeah. uh, if Duolingo sponsors us, that would be great, but it is, it is not a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day. I, I am treasurer, so we could oh, maybe yes. work something oh, out. Man. I, mean, I don't know. $100,000 sponsorship. What would you even do with that? <laughs> <laughs> we should rent Royce for two months. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. No, 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 not even two. No, wait, wait, no, not two months. I mean, two days. You can rent Royce Hall for two days with $100,000. Easy. So that would be amazing. Yeah. Have our meetings in there. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, but we're pretty small though. We'd just be like us in the front row, and then just this, this big auditorium. Oh man, that'd be that'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Ian, for being on the podcast and just sharing your story and just talking about your experiences and everything. And yeah, I I really appreciated it. I hope the uh, listeners have enjoyed it and appreciated um the stories that you've shared and everything and yeah so i hope everyone who's listening has enjoyed this episode of the aia and i hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day or night thank you <laughs>